Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast listener questions episode. Hello, everybody. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. It's a little bright and early, or at least earlier than usual for us to, to do these listener questions. We're, we're shaking off the tryptophan and uh, coming at you with some Bengals questions. We didn't, we didn't do this last week, but we've got a number of questions already queued up that have been coming our way over the past couple of days, maybe even weeks here. Uh, so we're kind of playing catch up with this. Thanks for joining us on this day after Thanksgiving. As I mentioned, I hope you had a great holiday. I'm Anthony Cazenza. He's John Sheeran. John, uh, how you doing, buddy? You uh, four-day weekend, right? Stomach is currently decompressing from the <laughs> 3,000 calories that I, that I took in yesterday, but I'm, I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm what, doing well. What's your, what's your go-to dish? What's your go-to dish? Uh, we don't we don't really do anything special. We kind of keep it simple. But um, uh, sweet potatoes was yeah. something that was was new for at least me. I, I took took a while for my twenty three year old palate to kind of accept that. But definitely stuffing is definitely like I mean just it's the it's the traditional man. You can't go wrong with it. Did you did you do any cranberry? Did you do any cranberry sauce? After you really have discussion? to ask that. <laughs> uh, I know. Almost I like you don't even know. I, th- I know. I, I thought I'd. Uh, I thought I'd. See if you if you came around on that one. Um, it's funny too. Like I, I told you before, we went on the air. We went to a couple of different places for Thanksgiving and celebrating. And it's funny how each each house and each person you can have a a green a green bean casserole or something like that, and it's completely different from one place to the next. Both are pretty good, you know. Um, and, and you know, some places do turkey and ham. Uh, another place I went to did some some red meat, which was cool. So um, yeah, a lot of food though. That is that is for danger. Yeah. Well, let's let's get to some questions. We've got some stuff queued up. Just for those of you tuning in live, if you want your question answered on the air, you can get in touch with us. If you're viewing us live on either the Orange and Black Insider YouTube channel or CincyJungle.com's Facebook page, you can leave your question in the chat. That we we are scouring those and we'll be answering some of those. You can get to us via email, theobinsider at gmail.com. You can get to us on Twitter at BanglesOBI. There is a post on CincyJungle.com if you're happen, happening to look at it there. There's a comment thread. You can leave your comment there. We will try to get to those. And then, of course, you can call and or text us at 949-542-6241. We'll be trying to get some people on the air, especially via phone call if you do, if you're not shy and you want to call in. So get to us. We've got a lot to get to. John, I'm going to let you kick it off this time, buddy. Yeah, so we got some early birds in the comments section here. Let's start with Ryan Dunbar from Facebook. He asked, why do you think the run game improved under Ryan Finley, and do you think it will continue now that Dalton is back in? 
I don't think that Ryan Finley had really anything to do with the improvements in the run game. I think it was the coaching staff realizing, hey, we have a rookie quarterback in there starting for his first games, and our running game is the last in the league. We need to do some improvements in order to help this guy you know, go through his first start. So I think they made adjustments with the blocking scheme. They made adjustments with the personnel up there to try to best utilize the running game to what strengths that they had. So you saw a different style of running game that was more accustomed to the, the guys that they had uh, on the offensive line. And it's a lot of more gap scheme runs, a lot of more tosses and sweeps to get mixed down in space where it's not to rely on reading off those first and second reads and not, not relying on the offensive line to get a lot of push up front. Whereas, you know, when, in the early parts of the season where they're going more zone, didn't have the necessarily athletes to really get mixed in a lot of space to make those first and second reads. So it was an adjustment, I think, made because Finley came in, but I don't think Finley himself did anything to help that it was just the, the offensive staff realizing hey this is a weakness and we have to mitigate it in order for our quarterback to have the, the best chance at succeeding yeah I totally agree with the play called design and what you said there we've we've talked about that facet a little bit um, when we've been asked this question uh, I, I've always maintained that Joe Mixon is a volume carry guy he is a guy that gets better as the game wears on he is a bigger back yes he's got the speed but he's got a lot of power. He will grind you out and grind you. He will grind out tough yards. He will wear a defense down if you feed him the football. When you look at the first handful of games, six carries against the Seahawks, 11 carries against the 49ers, 15 carries each against the Bills and Steelers, 19 against the Cardinals, eight against the Ravens, 10 against the Jaguars. And then you start seeing when you, when you see kind of the uptick which started in London, 17 carries, 66 yards. He did have the one, the basically the one game against the Cardinals earlier in the season. He did have 93 yards in that game was and was running well. Um, 66 yards against the Rams. Then all of a sudden he gets 30 carries against the Ravens. And what do you know? He has his first 100-yard uh, game of the season. He had 86 yards and nearly six yards a carry against the Raiders. And then last week, almost four and a half yards per carry on 18 carries with the, against the Steelers in the rematch. So I think really the volume of carries, he is just a guy that just gets better as the game goes on. Um, and he, you know, I think this staff kind of saw that this offensive line wasn't opening anything for him. You only give him six carries, 10 carries at the beginning of the year. And all of a sudden he's not finding holes, but 18 carries, 19 carries. We saw this last week, John, he, he has even with poor blocking, he's been able to create plays and make big plays out of nothing. And especially as those carries continue, he's making more plays. So I think the volume and getting him the ball more has also been part of the strategy. Now, do you think that this will continue? The second part of that question, do you think it'll continue? I mean, do you think that, that this will be a point of emphasis going forward to end the season? It was last year. Yeah, and, and it all depends on, you know, the run defenses that they face, and it depends on if the guys up front continue to do, to do their jobs. And like you said, it, it's better for Mixon, but unfortunately it's not better for the overall team because it hasn't led to any more overall offensive success and obviously, obviously hasn't led to wins. So it's hard in the NFL when you don't have that, you know, at least average passing game to rely on. It's hard to rely on a running game to really carry you to victory, especially when you can't consistently count on your defense. So with Dalton coming back, I think the running game is going to remain basically the same as what we've seen over the past couple of weeks because relative to how it started is working. But as far as, you know, the big picture goes and as far as making the offense better, I don't think it's going to really work until the passing game really steps up. Yeah. 
So we've got an email from, uh, I believe it was Patrick Esther. It was basically, you know, kind of talking about the potential opportunity cost of keeping Dalton in 2020. Um, I'm probably going to be a very popular guy over the weekend, given the post that I wrote to promote the Orange and Black Insider episode. Uh, You know, if you actually read the content of it, and not just the title, you'll understand the reasoning behind the article of which I speak. But um, Patrick basically asked, what's the opportunity cost of keeping Dalton's salary tied up into one player who probably isn't the future? Um, And then he also mentions Green, Denard, Eifert, Trey Hopkins, um, and others is basically close to $33 million the Bengals could get off of the books and or reallocate in free agency. Um, your, your thoughts on all of that, I don't think they're going to, even if they get all of those contracts off the books, I don't think they're going to spend anywhere near that in outside free agency because they just never do, but that's just me. Well, I think those are contracts that are expiring this year, Correct. and uh, those, those are potentially assets that they can bring back. And I think for the most part, it, they want to bring AJ Green back. They would probably like to bring Dark and Art back. I think if Tyler Eifert stays healthy, they would consider bringing him back and definitely Trey Hopkins. So those are definitely you know the, the handful of free agents that they have going in this year where they would make it a priority to bring them back. When in reality, you know, most of this roster is going to be gutted because this isn't Zach Taylor's roster. But yeah, I think Dalton's cap number is going to be around 17 or 18 or whatever, how, how many million it is. And, you know, besides the fact of moving on from Dalton and, and getting a quarterback that can elevate the rest of the team instead of a quarterback that can kind of go along with the ride of a good team, it's also the benefit of having a quarterback on a rookie contract where you can do more, where you can re-sign more of your guys, which is why they had so much success in the early years of, of, of Dalton when they didn't have a lot of losses in free agency. And maybe they finally wake up and realize, hey, we need to do a little bit more in, in outside free agency and bringing in more expensive guys to, to really help the team. So that's also the benefit of having that rookie having that starting quarterback on a rookie contract and getting a big quarterback contract off the books. So the opportunity cost is pretty big, even when you have some type of a plan of, of, of raising a, a quarterback for a year under Dalton while you still have Dalton's contract on the books. I don't think having Dalton's contract is going to totally negate any plans that they could have because it's not as big compared to other quarterbacks, right. but compared to compared to what we know and, and how they operate that 16 million is, is a pretty big number for that. Yeah, his his I think it's just over 17 million of a cap hit next year for Andy Dalton. I did some research that's the 17th highest cap hit for a quarterback in the league. So, right around really where his where people had ranked him as a and as, as an NFL quarterback throughout most of his career in that late teens type of type of thing. So it's still a manageable number by veteran quarterback standards. Um, by the way, Matt Stafford's number is like close to 30 million for a, for a cap hit. That is just gigantic, but um, the market now, man. for, uh, for yeah. him, I mean, yeah, for a guy like him that just, yeah. But uh, you know, that my, my thing, and I've said this a lot about outside free agency and the Bengals, you know, not wanting to really do major forays. And my thing is, you know, if, if you're not going to re-sign some of these high-priced guys, Green, Dalton, whatever, um, and if and this goes to years past too with the Marvin Jones, Muhammad Sanu, all that, all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you're not going to sign those guys, you need to use that money then to make your team better elsewhere and outside free agency. You can't just sit on that money. They sometimes they say, "Well, we've used it on extensions for guys like Dunlap and Atkins," and that's true. Um, Green even received an extension and and I get all of that, but there's still money to be used there by not re-signing some guys, by not being 
active in previous years in free agency that they could use. And instead they either roll it over for future use, which basically means they just keep rolling it over and it doesn't really get used. Um, so this is a year where if you're not going to re-sign some guys, if you're not going to do, you know, it, you, you have to use that money. You got to use that money to make your team better, especially in a year where you're, you're staring at a goose egg through 11 games. Um, let's, uh, speaking of which there's a text we got from Dan in Tennessee, at least I believe it was Dan in Tennessee real quickly. Uh, this sounds kind of like a laughable question on its surface, but I think if you look at a little deeper, there's some logic to it. Basically, how close are the Bengals? There's some recently close games. They had a lot of one possession games last year and this year. Uh, you know, there's some improvement in the run game. They may be getting healthier at the end of the year. I mean, how close do you think this team is from potentially being decent or pretty good or competitive or a contender, whatever? So, yeah, like I, I had an argument this offseason that the Bengals could positively regress because they lost a lot of close games last year. When you look at recent NFL history, teams who do poorly in close games one year tend to bounce back next year. But the only problem with that is if you're 0-6 or 0-7, whatever, in close games in a singular, but you're also 0-4 and 0-5 in multi-score games, it also says something that you're still a bad team. You're unlucky, but you're also pretty bad. And that basically describes the Bengals right now. They, yes, they haven't been able to close games. Yes, maybe with Andy Dahl instead of Ryan Finley, they win a couple games. And yes, maybe with just a better, a slightly better Andy Dahl in performance, they win a couple games before he gets benched. That's all fine and dandy, but they're still not a good team, and they're still not relatively close to compete because they are still the, the only winless team in, in, in the league right now. And yes, they doubled injuries, but you've seen the, the weaknesses and deficiencies in the roster. And you're still really unsure about this coaching staff, even when they get a good roster, how what, how confident they're going to be. So yes, the close game argument is definitely something that I argued for. And honestly, I kind of have to learn from that and kind of adjust my process in terms of using that because when you're bad in close games, but also bad in multi-score games, it's a testament to just not only how unlucky you are, but also how bad you are on top of that bad luck. Yeah, my my thing is this. I guess it's the the former kind of coach in me or whatever. You should always be looking to improve. You should greatly be looking to improve upon a year where you had a historically bad start. And my biggest fear, especially with this ownership, because basically this was their mindset this last year is, hey, we're close. We, we just got to stay healthy, blah, blah, blah. My my biggest fear is that they employ that mindset that they are close. Because even if you think so, even if the score tells you, hey, we could have, we could have, could have, would have, should have won all of these other games because it was a one possession game, you're not winning games. You're not close. So my, my biggest fear is that the Bengals management will once again employ that mindset this year and this offseason and say, hey, we're pretty close. We're just going to kind of sit on our hands, wait for guys to come back healthy. We had we lost our first round pick from from this last year, all that kind of stuff. The same old, same old. Um, in my opinion, you're not that close. If you're if you're 0-11 and you're coming off a six and ten season and you've basically in the last calendar year, you've lost you've won one game, you're not close. You're not close, so you you, you got to be better. Uh, cue up the next one there, John. If you if you got one that you that you like, awesome. So we got a text from the five one three, my my hometown. Why do you think uh, we have an offensive coordinator if Zach is calling? Why do we have an offensive coordinator if Zach Taylor is calling the plays? So yeah, the offensive coordinator is Brian Callahan, and Callahan was somebody that Taylor knew before he got to Cincinnati because he's the son of Bill Callahan, who was his coach in Nebraska. Um, yeah, like, you know, before the season, Zach Taylor only had five or so games of experience calling plays in the NFL. He had one year in college at UC calling plays. So this was the first time 
really for him long-term for taking this opportunity. But I don't think that even though that Callahan isn't calling the plays, he obviously still has input on the offense and the scheme and the overall direction in terms of game plan and whatnot. I don't think just because Taylor's calling the plays, he doesn't have, uh, you know, an animus, you know, or autonomous control over the whole direction of the offense. I think that him, you know, delegating play calling to Callahan isn't something that will happen until the off season. And also like, you know, you know, Mike Zimmer's the head coach of the, the Minnesota Vikings, but he still calls the plays for the defense. It's not like that defensive coordinator that he has is useless. Sean McVay obviously calls plays for the offense and, and the Rams, but they, you know, they don't even have an offensive coordinator, but they have guys under him that also have those similar responsibilities. So, you know, the offensive, just because we saw it, you know, under Marvin Lewis a lot with, you know, Bill Lazor and Jay Gruden and Hugh Jackson, and those guys have play calling duties, you know, Taylor came in as an offensive guy. He came in with his own scheme. So he has the right to have that opportunity first. And I think it'll it'll come down to Taylor's self-evaluation of himself to really hand that responsibility over to a guy in Callahan that he trusts. And I don't think we're going to see that change until maybe the offseason. And even then, I, I think that Callahan and Taylor are still on the same page in terms of how they're trying to rebound this thing going forward. And I, I don't think it's something that Taylor's going to give up easily. I, I have a couple of questions to kind of piggyback off of off of this question from from the texter there. I mean, do you think it would it would have been more wise for Taylor to initially, I mean, it's easy to say now, but Taylor to initially give play calling duties to an, another offensive coordinator and then maybe take them back for himself as he himself gained some more experience. Do you think that was too big of a risk because Callahan was so green himself? Um, right. Or, you know, should he, like, like I said, should he have just said, you know what, this is a little too much that I'm biting off right at the beginning as a first time head coach, maybe give it to somebody else. And then, I take the reins back if things aren't working or does that just kind of also read a bad vibe in the, in the coaching staff and in the locker room? Well, like the whole, the whole thing about sustainability, right. Is that the the dream is to have a guy calling the plays on offense as your head coach. So you you have him there and you don't fear him losing and taking his offense somewhere else while also having an experienced guy running the defense. That, that was the model that the Rams had with McVay and hiring Wade Phillips. Unfortunately, this is like the, the the value brand that we're seeing in Cincinnati because it's it's basically falling apart and it's not nearly as good. So you have some type of sustain sustainability with your offensive, you know, minded head coach calling the plays, an offensive coordinator under him under him basically, you know, managing other other things as it goes on and has someone else run the defense. And that was the whole plan coming in. And since it hasn't worked, yeah, you have that hindsight. You have you have that hindsight of yeah, maybe a, a guy as inexperienced as me should have had more experienced offensive coordinator calling the plays. But even, even when you have that, if it works out well, then you have the, then you have the chance of him going off somewhere else and you need to bring in somebody else to, to basically take over those play calling duties or you take over, the, you, you take over those duties yourself. So the, I think it was smart in terms of building some type of long-term uh, sustainability and just overall stability itself. But since it hasn't worked, then you, now you have to look at potentially some, you know, altering the plans and whatnot going forward. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, and this is our listener questions special episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for submitting your questions. We're going to get to a few more. If you are new to this program, please download the show. It's on iTunes. It's on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. It's on Megaphone. It's on iHeartRadio. It's on YouTube, and all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com. So get it where you can. Subscribe to our channels, and uh, definitely get in touch with us. We'll be here for a few more minutes as we close things up. I saw this in the 
uh, comment section of the uh, the post on cincyjungle.com. Uh, it's from Excel Hearts Choi. I thought this was kind of interesting. Backup quarterback. I know that the starting quarterback for next year is far from settled, but what about the backup quarterback? Is it Finley? Does Dola Gala remain on the roster? What happens if there's a mentorship situation next year? Um, so I think it would seem as if the starting quarterback next year will most likely be a first round pick or a very, a very less likely scenario, but a possible one is Andy Dalton at some point. I don't think it's going to be Ryan Finley. I don't think it's going to be Jake Dolagala. So this question kind of bears weight. Do you think Ryan Finley is the team's backup quarterback next year, or did he show not even enough to, to keep his job next year? Do you think the Bengals double dip in the draft next year at quarterback? The whole, the whole backup conversation is interesting because I think for the vast majority of teams, if you have to bring in your backup quarterback, already on a bad team, he's not going to do well, and you're basically – your, your ship is already sunk. You have no chance of keeping up with the rest of the league. Very few teams have you know quality backups that can be just as good as your starting quarterback. So I don't think Finley has completely tanked his chances of being that backup. I, I still think that – you know, you know, he's relatively young. He's, he's 24, 25 years old, but this is still his first year. And I don't think the coaches are going to completely give up on him. And and they have obviously that contract on the books for the next three years. So they can keep him around this next off season and Dola Gala as well to at least compete for some type of spot next year. But like you said, it really all depends on what they do with Andy Dalton. And obviously the likely situation is that they trade him for assets and for draft assets and then uh, draft a quarterback or they keep Dalton and then they draft a quarterback anyways. And then it really comes down to keeping either Dolagala or Finley, whoever yeah. they want, as that developmental role. So it really all depends on what they do with Dalton. But I don't think Finley has completely eradicated his chances because that's just the nature of backup quarterbacks. They're just not going to be good enough to really carry you. Yeah, I think I think Finley. I, I don't think he played himself out of a job. I think it's a manageable manageable contract. I think Zach Taylor probably. You know, I mean, that was the guy he liked in this year, this last year's draft. I mean, he moved up to get him. Was the only guy they they met with in pre-draft visits and all of that. So, um, you know, I think that he's the guy that they're going to hang on to, whether it's for the backup or, like you said, maybe a third-string role if there is a mentorship type of thing yet to be seen. I still think, I, I still think the most likely scenario is new guy Finley and then Dolagala. Um, I, I don't know that I see Andy Dalton on this team next year, but stranger things have happened. What you got next, John? Oh, unless so, you got more. So there was a comment, or maybe it was a question sent in. Um, so I apologize. I'm, I'm not, I don't remember who this is from. Oh, here we go. Uh, yeah. If this is from uh, Duder the slash go away Mike Brown, <laughs> what's an interesting name. Uh, if they don't draft a quarterback and let Dalton play next year, do you think the game attendance will plummet? Will Chase Young in the first round and Jordan Love in the second round be enough to put butts in seats? This is, a topic that I've been thinking about a lot more, more so than just the, the whole attendance issue, because they are last in attendance right now because they are that bad. And you would think naturally bringing in a, a first overall quarterback will be something to re-energize the, you know, the fan base in general. And it's something that ownership is going to support in terms of turning the franchise around. But just beyond that, like we, we talked about this week, there's, if there's any place where Zach Taylor can build some type of, a long-term plan at Cincinnati. He's going to have, presumably compared to the 31 other teams, he's going to have more stability and support from ownership to do something long-term in Cincinnati than anything else. But if he goes 2-14, and 1-15, and 0-16, oh the odds of him getting fired increase tenfold compared to just a normal below-average season. So 
if this season turns out as bad as we all think it will, he, he's going to be potentially on the hot seat going into 2020, and he might not have the chance to relive or you know develop his long-term plan. So in his mind, beyond just re-energizing the fan base in terms of what ownership wants, a quarterback addressing the quarterback first and addressing it in the best way possible is in his best interest to just maintain some type, some type of job security. Because I think he, he felt going into this that he was going to hire his coaching staff and he was going to have a couple years to really do what he needs to do. But if he doesn't get instant results in, instantly and he doesn't bring enough energy, he doesn't bring enough support from the fan base and ownership, he's going to be out of a job sooner than he thinks. So it's more, in my opinion, than just you know diminishing game attendance if they address Chase Young and maybe you know try quarterback in the, on day two. It's more about just keeping his job and just trying to you know develop this plan as long as he wants to. So I think it goes even beyond just the overall attendance, even though that is definitely an issue that I think ownership is going to be pressing for this draft. This team needs to do it needs to swing for the fences in terms of getting fans back and potentially riding the ship of, of their own franchise. You don't want to let the fans dictate how you run your business necessarily. Uh, if I mean, fans are, are very reactionary, they're knee jerk reactionary, and they can make they can call for decisions that necessarily aren't wise football decisions, right? Um, and, and they look great on paper, they sound great, but they don't necessarily help your football team or, you know, you're not privy to actually talking with that specific player, what kind of money they want, the whole thing, uh, everything that goes into it. But I think that this team has to be very concerned about its attendance. I think it has to be, and, and they've no, they noted that when they made the coaching change that they were, they, they quote unquote heard the fans um, last year. And that's kind of why they moved in a different direction. It's even worse this year. Um, and uh, the results are worse this year as well. So, you know, I, I, I think that they will partially lend an ear to what the fans are, are, are saying and basically not doing in terms of getting their butts in seats. I will say this, and I've said this many, many times, there are scenarios where the Bengals can make a splash in the draft where if they are so inclined to take Chase Young and they really want Chase Young at number one overall, they can do that and move their way back up into the draft and draft a quarterback midway through the first round, late in the first round, if a guy falls, whatever. Um, you know, Who knows what's going to happen with Tua? Who knows what's going to happen with Justin Herbert? We're pretty sure Burrow's going to be in that top five in some form or fashion so the Bengals theoretically could swing for the fences get a chase young move back up and get still one of those big three it's going to take a lot of capital for them to do that but they can do that um especially if they hang on to an Andy Dalton through the draft that sort of thing maybe they use that as part of a package deal to move up who knows but they need to do something splashy and they need to raise eyebrows and open eyes of the fans in order to get them back to the to the field that's what the browns did this year it's not yielding great results they're kind of in the mix of things but that really energized the fan base getting all those guys trading for them you know all all of the moves they made and that's sometimes what it takes um sometimes it blows up in your face and sometimes it works out really well you got another one uh yeah let's go with um Speaking of trades, let's go with at Bando Rusty, also known as Randy Dalton on Twitter. Uh, Andy's Andy's twin brother. Uh, who has the most trade value and chances of that person being traded? I mean, I think 
the, the person who has the most trade value is AJ Green, but he's not really under contract for next year. So, uh, I, you know, that's kind of a little asterisk there. Um, so I guess you would say Andy Dalton, especially with the position that he plays, it's probably not overly high. It will probably be raised if his level of play gets raised these past five games. And we all know, John, teams get desperate and they get crazy in the spring months to make a move, to get a guy, maybe an injury happens, who knows? Right. And I think we had somebody in the live comments saying how we should do the, the Patrick Mahomes plan where we would uh, keep Smith, draft, draft Mahomes and trade Smith. Well, I think Smith only got the Chiefs, I think, a third round pick and maybe something else. And you're thinking to yourself, OK, who on the Bengals roster is going to get more than that? And obviously, if you have AJ, you know, the contract, you might get a, a second or first round pick. But like you said, he's not exactly an asset right now because he's not under contract. I know there's a lot of you know buzz about what what a Geno Atkins or a Carlos Dunlap would bring in, or maybe even a William Jackson the third. But I think you know naturally fans will always overvalue their own players, and I think the Bengals also do this as well. And how that's why they're never going to trade players midseason because they always overvalue their own veterans and their own you know building blocks more so than what the NFL values. And like Marcus Peters only got I think a fifth round pick and like a linebacker, and he's playing like one of the best cornerbacks in the league right now. So great players don't get traded necessarily for the value that fans and ownership believe them to be worth. And I think that when you look at what the NFL will need and, and you know, how the NFL values certain positions as far as age and contract goes, Dolan is still your most valuable asset. He can get you potentially a third or fourth round pick. Whereas a guy like Atkins, Dunlap or William Jackson might get you something around there, maybe a little bit less because they just don't play a position as important as a quarterback. Yeah. And I caught a little flack recently because I pointed out the fact that Dunlap and Atkins are eating up, you know, I think close to $30 million of, of cap hit space this year. And I think between them, they have a combined six and a half, seven sacks. Uh, that's that's basically on pace for career lows for definitely for Carlos Dunlap and, and uh, going to be one of the lowest sack totals for Atkins. Now, sacks isn't doesn't tell the whole story. We know there's pressure rates. There's other PFF metrics and things that go into that. And they aren't playing absolutely awful. But I think we can I think we can safely say that this has not been the strongest seasons from both of those guys. Yes, the surrounding talent hasn't been there either to assist them and let them kind of do their thing. So maybe they're overcompensating for other issues on defense entirely possible. But I mean, they're getting up there in age. And uh, that's that's something to think about in terms of trade value. The other thing, too, John, and I know you got uh, maybe another one to, to get to before we get out of here mm-hmm. in a minute. But the other thing, kind of to your point, with with how the Bengals value their veterans and their quote unquote core guys, the way they structure contracts is different. It's they're very yeah. manageable towards the back ends. So they're saying, well, we've got a core guy. We've got a guy towards. Yeah, maybe they're not playing as well as they did when they first signed the contract or what have you, but it's a very manageable contract towards the back end of it. So why would we just basically give away a guy, a a good player, manageable contract and get a low draft yield? That doesn't make sense. Perhaps that goes into the mindset of why they don't deal some of these guys. Yeah, definitely. And just one, one more question I want to get to Uh from the comment section from young family Chronicles. He says, as a former Bengals fan, LOL, do you trust this organization to draft the right player at number one or number two overall? And this is something that I know we're probably going to get asked more so as the, as the year goes on as the draft is closer, but this is something that I kind of want to establish so I don't have to really ha- answer more than once. Like it, it, it doesn't really matter what I feel and how I trust because I don't really trust this organization to do really anything right, but I also want them to be in the best possible scenario or, p- or position 
to just fall into their own luck and to just get lucky at the right time. So if if you're a fan and you're thinking, well, I don't trust the Bengals to draft right quarterback or to draft Chase Young at the top of the draft, they're going to mess it up. I just don't understand what we're really what, what we're really doing here. And I know there's definitely a, a distrust with this organization, with Mike Brown, with this coaching staff, and how they're going to rebuild this this, this team. And you're thinking we want to blow it all up and we want to sell the team. Those are things that are probably not going to happen. This is the hand that we're dealt with as fans, as analysts, that we have to cover and we have to analyze what they're doing. And in order for them to get to some place that they haven't been before, they need something that they haven't had in a while, and that's a franchise quarterback. And the only way that they're going to feasibly get one is if they're at the top of the draft, because like we said, they could trade up for them, but it's probably not going to happen because that's not the way they operate. They need to kind of luck in, into something like this, and it doesn't matter if we trust them to handle it right. It's just something that has to happen in order for the next step to be taken. So do I trust them to do it? Not exactly, not 100%. I do think that their evaluations on quarterback is better than the public perception is because, you know, the way that they've handled the quarterback position for the better part of 15 years is better than I think what people give them credit for compared to other teams around the league. Like having Carson Palmer and Andy Dolan as your long-term starters over the course of two decades is is, is pretty decent. That's pretty damn good. That's pretty damn good. It's pretty, it's pretty decent. Like obviously Ryan Finley looks like a miss, but you know, they, they drafted guys as backups and signed guys who have done the job fairly well compared to the rest of the league. So do I trust them hundred percent? Not exactly. I have a feeling that they're going to like Joe Burrow, and I think if they had the chance to draft him, they are going to draft him. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if I trust them. They need to find themselves in the best possible situation to do this, and the only way for that to happen is if they are in one of those two spots. That is a great, great point, John. Um, and, you know, we we can look back at let, – let's look back a second to, to the 2003 offseason, Okay. They lost to Keo Spikes in free agency, their best linebacker. Um, but what the Bengals did is they signed a couple of veteran, I don't want to call them castoffs, but guys towards the end of their careers that had some productive seasons, and they ended up coming in and being okay for the Bengals. Torrey James, the cornerback there, he had a pretty good year with the Bengals uh, and and actually a couple of good seasons with, with the Bengals yeah. when he teamed up with Delph O'Neal. Um, they, they had a stopgap guy in Kevin Hardy, who was a former first-round pick at linebacker. They kind of put – put together some things with duct tape and glue. But you know what they did in the draft with the first overall pick? Carson Palmer. First overall Mm -hmm. pick in the second round, Eric Steinbach. Third round, Kelly Washington. Fourth round, Dennis Weathersby, cornerback. Didn't really materialize. Poor guy got shot right before the draft. Um, So that, you know, that that is what it is. But a second fourth round pick, one of those beloved compensatory picks, Jeremy Johnson, fullback. So four of their first five picks in that draft were total hits, total hits. And they they contributed. Jeremy Johnson as a fullback was a very valuable guy right. uh, up up through to 2009. Um, you know, he was a guy that, that really helped him for the better, better part of half a decade. Plus, Kelly Washington played his first contract here, and, and especially until Chris Henry arrived, was a great number three receiver for this team. So they can go right in, and all of a sudden, because, because like you said, they luck – or suck into these high picks, they can, they're like, well, we're getting good players. We're just going to get good players because of where we're drafting. And it's hard to screw it up. Uh, The hope is that that will be the case in 2020, like it was 17 years ago in in 2003. I don't trust this team. I don't, they don't do the little things well in terms of operations and management and all that stuff. We know this. I don't trust them, but 
they have, like you said, they have made sage decisions and even passing on players has, has proven at times to, to be sage decisions. So, um, you know, I, I, I want to see what they do this spring in terms of dealing players, dealing for players, what they do in free agency and then this draft. And then I think we can kind of say this team is either headed completely in the right direction or this is just really going to be another handful of years like we saw in the 1990s. I don't know. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. This has been our listener questions episode. He's John Sharon. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this. We, we do the listener questions episode at least twice a month, if not three times a month, usually on Fridays. So please join us if and when you can. We do our weekly show usually on Wednesdays, although uh, programming note, we will be doing it next Tuesday night instead of Wednesday night. Sorry about that, but uh, just kind of keep your eyes and ears open for that little bit of a change. Uh, we did get confirmations uh, for those who listen to our weekly show. We did we did get some confirmations from folks in SB Nation um, through the LSU sites, the Oregon sites, and the Alabama sites to help us talk about the big three quarterbacks coming up on the next couple of episodes. So you definitely want to hang with us for that. We appreciate all of the questions and comments. We tried to get to as many as possible today. There was a lot to get to. We're just running a little long, so we're going to get out of here. If you're new to this program, join us live, either Cincy Jungle's Facebook or the Orange and Black Insider YouTube channel, as many of you did today. Please join us there for every episode that we record. Otherwise, you can catch it after the fact wherever you get your audio podcasts and or the Cincy Jungle website and the, as I mentioned, the aforementioned YouTube channel. John, anything else before we pop out of here, man? You got some VIP stuff to get to this this weekend, so enjoy yourself. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm going from the 513 to the 614, so anyone in, anyone in Columbus tonight, definitely hit me up. I'm going to be at the, uh, the Blue Jackets game and box seats, so I'm definitely going to not be where I probably des- belong or deserve to be, but I'm just going to I'm just going to live it out. That's awesome, man. Have a good time. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm jealous. I'm uh, I'm doing more. I'm kind of doing errands and honeydew work, you know, uh, on my. What is honeydew work? So, some some day off. Honeydew, like honeydew this, a honeydew list. You've never heard of that? Honey, do this. Honey, I, I, I just know fruit, which is a good fruit, by the way. <laughs> it's okay. That's all right. Uh Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, John, have fun tonight, buddy. And uh, we'll, we'll see everybody next time.